Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by Pull String Press. Thanks to Patrick for partnering with 805 Connect and providing this great studio for these podcasts. Welcome, Patrick. Oh, you called it a great studio. I love it. The 805 Connect project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We thank them as well. More information on our partners at 805connect.com. Today, we've got an 805 Connect partner, John Glanville from maps.com. Welcome, John. Good morning, Mark. How are you today? I'm great. It's uh, coming up on the July 4th weekend, and what I love about summer, particularly summer here in in Santa Barbara, is that things start opening up in terms of, hey, you're a little bit little bit slower getting out of the gate in the morning because your kids are there and you're a little bit earlier getting home in the evening because like today it's barbecue down at the beach so all good and i love it great july 4th weekend coming up john uh i met john uh, three or four years ago i think it was we produced tedx american riviera and john i got this email from someone would you like some maps (laughs) And I, I didn't know how I was going to use maps at a TEDx. Um, and we sat and had coffee. Mm-hmm. And I told my map story, which was long and drawn out. And uh, John, uh, and I said, I, you know, I like maps. And John says, people don't like maps. People love maps. And I, uh, that has stuck with me all of these years. And I, I want to start, John, because you didn't start maps.com. You, you came in a few years ago. So... Tell me what it is about your love for maps and love for business that got you to actually buy a map business. Great, Mark. It's, it's, uh, it's a love of serendipity is actually what it comes down to. You never know what life is going to present you, but you do know that you can be prepared for it when that opportunity arrives. So I've, I've had a lifelong love of uh, graphical information. I enjoy mm, mm. taking in information uh, visually, um, and sometimes that's a, um, a positive, and sometimes that hinders you. If I'm sitting looking at a spreadsheet with rows and rows and columns of numbers, sometimes my eyes uh, blur over. But maps are that unique way of interpreting information visually. And a lot of people, when they think about maps, they think, well, that allows me to get from point A to point B. I take a broader perspective. It's not just how you get from point A to point B, but it's what's going on in point A, what's going on in mm. point B, mm. where, what's the relationship between the two, and where, what can you learn from a uh, piece of information that's presented on, a, on essentially a two-dimensional format. Uh, maps have been on paper for... Oh, we're going to go back probably 3,000 years, 4,000 years. 3,000 years. Yeah, well, um, maps are one of the earliest types of um, written graphical information. So, you know, most people, they have a love of maps. Um, They may not understand why they have a love of map, but it, it has to do with the fact that it's one of the oldest forms of communication. So... When you were um, a young caveman and you were trying to explain to your tribe how to get to you know, a particular location where there was good fishing or there was you know, good berry picking, and by the way, you want to avoid going by this area because there happens to be a hungry bear, 
I mean, you could do it verbally, and Mark being as as um, you're a very good speaker, so I imagine you could do this um, speaking, but there's a lot of people who really take in information visually. And one of the first types of communication done in a graphical format were maps. You know, here's the cave, here's where the berries are, here's how you get there, and avoid that bear over there. So it was almost a, um, this was a life-saving technique. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you didn't mm-hmm. want to, you wanted to avoid danger and you wanted to accomplish, you know, some kind of task. And it's great because, you know, as they do archaeological digs and you start coming up with the kinds of information that, um, that people were using, you know, even 10,000 years ago, maps are, are part of that, um, that oeuvre of, of information. So it's almost genetic that all of us have a, some kind of understanding of place, where we are right now, well, what's our relationship to the rest of the world? That's, you know, all of us sort of have that radar on um, both, uh, well, both consciously and unconsciously. Uh, some of us are better at it than others. Uh, I know I am directionally impaired. Um, my wife says I do. You're a, a guy. Yeah, I'm a guy. <laughs> I, and my wife says I do a good job of getting lost. You throw me into a foreign capital. Like and and the, you own a maps company. <laughs> and I okay. own a, hey, it's, we it, got gets that. Better, it gets better than that. <laughs> Um, so, yes, um, maps serve a variety of different purposes, including um, I make a good navigator because I know how to read maps. Uh. So um, that, uh, you know, just the orientation, this kind of stuff. It's been a lot of fun teaching maps to elementary school uh, children. So I, uh, part, one of my identities is Map Man, and I... Ma- Identities? Yes. What does that mean? They, well, it's my alter ego okay. uh, of Map Man, and I arrive in uh, a local... Is there a costume involved? There, there. Would you like to see a picture? <laughs> uh, we'll we'll I, post shall, that shall, for the, shall, for shall the people paint, that are listening. Paint, paint an image. But uh, yes, so Map Man arrives in uh, classrooms throughout uh, Santa Barbara County with uh, with a discussion on you know, mm. orientation, um, you know, which way is north, which way is south. Um, where are you uh, versus where is the rest of the, the town? How far is it from you know, your school to your home? Um, so you try and blend together both the concept of location and place with some of the other curriculum items like you know, distance is a, a great um, arithmetic, arithmetic or mathematic um, So there's a role concept. for maps and math? There's a role for maps and math. Science, and particularly environmental science, is very difficult to explain without a uh, some form of map. Um, I think it's second grade where uh, the monarch butterfly episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the whole mm-hmm. etymology, the whole um, entomology of how a you know from a cocoon to a, a monarch butterfly occurs, and um, a lot of that also gets into these large maps of the migration of a monarch butterfly. So I, I think we all can visualize what that, um, what that map looks like. Uh, Patrick, do you know, where, where do monarchs come from? You, you mean regionally, where do monarchs regionally come from? Regionally come from. Santa Barbara? No. <laughs> <laughs> they migrate. They migrate from Mexico all the way up to, and they actually take two, you know, um, migrational pathways one is up the west coast and one is migrates over towards the east coast and uh, these are migrational paths that have developed over thousands of years so um, 
and monarchs are a threatened uh, species. So, you know, there's a lot of concern because they all come back down to the forests of central Mexico, and those forests are getting logged. Mm. And so there's, mm. you know, so when you, again, back to education and back to, you know, how do you explain what's going on to um, a seven-year-old? And doing it visually with a map oftentimes conveys the information. The last time my mother was in town, we went out to uh, out to the reserve, out right? To, and, and we uh, we there were there's lots of visual displays out there that were really nice. She's an elementary school uh, librarian, and so that was a really great opportunity for her to to see that kind of thing. And I know she she talked a lot about the, the migration at the time. Right, exactly. We've been uh, raising monarchs. We're a foster home for monarchs. Oh no, kidding! Nice. We are. Uh, we have a friend who's got a whole field of milkweed. Oh, so so monarchs come from Mark Sylvester's house. That's ah. where they come from. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We we have we only have two milkweeds, and the butterflies haven't found them yet. So we're fo- we foster, and they show up. We someone calls, and we go pick them up, and they're an eighth of an inch or less mm-hmm. in their first day. We got one on Sundays already almost an inch and a half long, and it's mm. you know only been a few days. They're voracious uh, you know, eaters, which, by the way, you know, Mark, I know you've also, uh, one of his alter egos is cooking, and, and I'm glad to hear that you not only do wonderful meals for humans, but you also do wonderful <laughs> meals for insects. This it's is a full buffet. <laughs> 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 we serve six leaves three times a day. <laughs> oh, gosh. John, uh, I, I, I want to continue... The, the person who's listening to us right now has mm-hmm. heard about us through 805 Connect or through iTunes. They were looking for, you know, interesting podcasts, and our name came right. up. And I'm really interested in uh, kind of the, the business part of MAPS. Now, tell us a little bit more about your background sure. as a business person. Sure. Um, as I started, it, it's a lot of serendipity. I my original career was in construction management, so I'm, oh. I'm a. I it started off building buildings, so oh. I'm um, reasonably good at, at at putting you know bricks on top of bricks and this kind of stuff. Um, interesting migration from building buildings to building companies. So uh, back in the late '90s, when it seemed like anybody with a you know two cents could start a venture capital fund, I and several. Um, professors from Caltech decided, oh. you know, hey, why don't we? <laughs> it can't be that hard. Everybody up in the Bay Area is doing it. We've got some good technology here. Sure. Why don't we start a venture capital fund? And I believe we our first investment was timed almost to the peak of the NASDAQ in 2000. So we made our first investment on the very same day that NASDAQ peaked, and it dropped from <laughs> something over 5,000 to about 1,200 in a period of a year. Um, it was probably called you know, immaculate timing on our part. Um, it you know it was not the immaculate reception; it was immaculate timing. But we ended up having a portfolio of a variety of companies. Uh, some were in the semiconductor architecture arena. Some were bioinformatics. Uh, some were software companies. Um, a, a wide variety, and uh, it was a fascinating time. The first part of the last decade, I um, sat on several. Um, technology company boards and had the opportunity to sort of see what it was like to sit there with a minority position in a company and try and persuade um, entrepreneurs and um, larger stakeholders uh, what a good course of action would be um, or maybe a, a alternative course of action to their direction they were going in. 
Um, I've seen my fair share of, of successes, um, fortunately, knock on wood, uh, enough to keep stay in the game. Sure, and sure. Uh, I've had my, you know, I've been party to my fair share of, of learning experiences. Is, the, is that what the, we call them? That's what we call them, learning experiences. And uh, a, a colleague turned to me, so I was you know, bemoaning these learning experiences, and she turned to me and she goes, so you know, why do you have a minority position? Why don't you just buy a company and, huh. and run it? And this is, you know, 2008, 2009. I was like, well, that's, gee, <laughs> you know, flash of the obvious, why not? So I um, wasn't, I, I was primed. You know, I was, I, you know, I had the capital available. I was, you know, had the mental, you know, fortitude to think that I could take this on. And when the opportunity presented itself to acquire a small company that published uh, atlases of the American West, which is benchmark maps, I uh, said, sure, I can do this. This is not rocket science. Did you have any experience with maps at all other than using them? I had limited uh Correct. I had limited experience. Uh, and and why? Maps. Why maps? What? What? It, you said it was there. Was, it was an opportunity. So you know right. your radar lit up. This little beat right. starts going. So were, were there other businesses that you were? Once you decided, okay, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to follow this advice. Right. I'm now going to be open to that. Was it just the first one that came on the radar? It wasn't the first one, but it was the one that had appeal. Oh, okay. And I think, uh, Mark, that part of that appeal is that it, it spoke to my ability to interpret graphical information. So mm. I, I had, you know, it's, it's more than just a like of maps. It's more of a love of maps. And that's what sort of pulled me. And I, I will say that it was also, you know, the circumstances in 2010, um, there was a lot of, of wreckage out there after the 2008 sure, financial sure. recession. And uh, so there were some good opportunities. There were, there were a lot of good opportunities. Did I think that I was up for taking on a semiconductor company at the time? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was not going to be that. And, you know, did I want to jump into medical technology companies? Not That, that didn't have the same appeal. Um, publishing and um, content generation, and particularly stuff that's in the uh, two the interpretation of information, that seemed more to be uh, what I, you know, that had greater appeal to me than some of the other opportunities that were on the table. So, uh, so you you get benchmark, you get involved in that, you start surrounding yourselves with maps. How did the maps.com opportunity come up? Well. Um, as with a lot of industries that are uh, seeing great uh, transition, um, the, the arena of geographical information is also seeing that. And one of the big drivers is uh, our friends at Google. Mm -hmm. They uh, sure. introduced the, I mean, you had MapQuest, you had several other platforms for digital maps. And uh, as a matter of fact, maps.com's original um, purpose Back in the 1990-1991 era, when it was Magellan Geographics, right. was essentially the production of digital maps. Hmm. Um, and it, they, at the time, realized, they, the founders of uh, what became Maps.com, realized the world is turning from just you know, paper printed maps to an arena of 
computer-generated digital maps. And they were at the, the forefront, or at least in the middle of that transition. Um, but back to, you know, I had acquired Benchmark. I started attending, you know, various conferences and working on uh, various projects and getting to know people in the industry. And there were a lot of people who, having seen the transition that was going on in the industry, were looking for an exit. So, mm. yeah, and I'll say even to today, I've got four um, op, you know, opportunities to acquire additional map company or other map oh, companies. Really? So th this is an ongoing process. It's a, I believe it's an industry uh, consolidation sure. that's going on. Sure. And there's going to be, there are several very large players, you know, the Googles of the world, Esri. I know Apple's planning on having its map platform. But then you look at what uh, Microsoft did. Um, recently, you know, spinning off their um, their map and and search um, capabilities to AOL. So um, you know, they they're the There's game still can, lots of opportunities. There are there are lots and lots of opportunities. So I want to talk about printed maps. Um, I should have brought one, and I apologize. <laughs> that's that's okay. We we uh, again we we've all agreed we love maps. Um, they just put some old maps up at French Press. Maybe mm -hmm. not just, but recently put five or six maps up. You noticed them all of a sudden, yeah. I could stand there yeah. for days and just look because every glance you learn something new. And they're old maps. Uh, the, there's one specific one with China with all the old names, mm. right? So that's kind of interesting, you know, with Canton and... Uh, but when uh, you say old names, you mean actually like new 40s, European 50. names oh. applied to Chinese locations, which had oh. you know prior names that uh, had been um, uh, anglicized. So th there's the the one of the fascinating things about maps is it's not only about place, but it's also about history. It's also about you know who. Who owns history? The winners. And at the, the, the particular <laughs> juncture that the, the map that was produced that you're looking at, the map was probably produced by uh, English or Dutch or European. The colonial uh, the, power. Mm, yeah, the colonial mm, power. Mm. And, and so they were, the, A, they didn't speak Mandarin or Cantonese or any of the other um, dialects in, in, in China. So at B, they didn't know um, the, um, the way to do Chinese characters and see um, they were going to do it their own way anyway. So they went with what is a, a, um, a European style of uh, the names for the different uh, locations that, in China. That's fascinating. And so it, you can, it, it you helps me understand why we get dinged uh, when you we look at a world map produced here and uh, North America is in the center of the map. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and when you go to Rome back, you know, 2,000 years ago, uh, where was Rome center on a map? Center of the universe. Okay. If you go to Beijing, where was, you know, Beijing located on Chinese maps back, uh, we're talking maybe 5,000 years ago. I would love to see an old Chinese map. I can, I can. You can make I, that happen. I, I can make that happen. <laughs> uh, now, Patrick, do you have a map story? Oh, right. So we, uh, I did my grad work up at UCSB, and I had an art studio underneath um, 
uh, Harder Stadium, which is which is where all of the grad students uh, do most of their artwork. And I, my mother is a librarian uh, in Vancouver, Washington, Chinook Elementary School. And at some point, they transitioned all of the maps out of their classrooms, and they ended up in a back storage room next to the library, mm. which is something that that kind of every artist uh, is looking for is a room full of a lot of uh, materials. So I I took. I took all of the maps uh, with me from from Chinook Elementary School and brought them to my my studio, and then I hung them up in my studio to have all of these different reference things uh, to point out when people came to it. And everybody said, "Where you can't even buy these anymore?" And I said, "No, I think I think you can. In fact, I th- I think there's, I think it's here in Goleta that you can buy these." And so one day we were leaving the studio, and there was a sign that said "Maps for Sale." And we swung into your headquarters, and uh, and there was a room full of every kind of map you could ever want and uh, we went crazy for a little bit and so then my studio got even more full and so right now in my in my studio I have I have piles and piles and piles of your maps right yeah. well one of the fascinating things and <clears throat> this is sort of the art side versus the well actually it's not versus it's art and um, and maps we have a, a large uh, collage that was put together by a New York artist where he took marine charts mm-hmm. and sliced them into slivers. Oh, interesting. And then was able to compose a large wave. Um, so um, when, you, when you step back, it's a, a large cresting wave. When you look up close, you can see all the different pieces oh, wow. of marine charts. It's the next time you're, you visit maps.com, which I'm assuming is going to be not too long in the, <laughs> the future. Yeah. Um, I expect you to stop in the lobby and, and take a look at that. I love that. Uh, so um, there's a lot of – maps get used in a lot of different ways, I guess, is the takeaway from that. And uh, just as a sidebar to that, um, the people who run the uh, ecology art program uh, art from scrap yeah oh um, yeah right we hand off um literally um <laughs> station wagon um loads full of of old um and returned atlases um nice. that they then use for putting art together um with uh, uh, children here in santa barbara so so uh, restaurants give their extra food to the rescue mission and you give your old maps, maps to too. art from scrap you got it so we'll look for that thing i i appreciate that Let, let's use that as a little segue in t- I've got two things I want to talk about. I don't want to forget them. One is community. The other is how do you reinvent an industry? Right. Let's just stay. W- I'm going to go back to community. Let's talk about reinventing industry. So you've you've come in. You were able to get these properties uh, probably at a distressed rate because of you know, but it was a good time. They wanted to get right. out, and now you've got other people saying, "Whoa, maybe the writing's on the wall now." Uh, you see there's opportunity for that. So now let's think about the person who's listening to this and they're they're wondering about their business and are they being obsoleted by something else? It might be new technology. It might be a huge competitor. Tell me what your thinking is about how do you play the role of the underdog? Maybe that's the right, question. Right. Playing the role of the underdog. Great, great question. And uh, particularly, I get asked that question quite a bit. Mm. You know, like, so give me uh, a new answer. Like, yeah, like, what the heck are you doing going into a business? Doesn't Google do everything? And and uh, I, I only use my phone for directions, so therefore, you know, why would I possibly need a map? And I generally come back with... Actually, I could talk for quite a while on this topic. Okay, I'll set a timer. Yeah, (laughs) but uh, there's um, first is if you think that Google is 100% correct, you're off by quite a bit. 
So just Under, knowing, what do you mean? What does that so, mean? Hundred well, percent correct. You're saying my map is wrong? Well, there's a couple different ways to interpret this. A, they're primarily correct. Okay. But you need to know whether when they're wrong, because huh. you know they, the, and by the way, maps in general are not hundred percent correct. Okay. So you need to have a general sense of where you are. I happen to come from the old school that you know we actually looked at. You know when I grew up. Maps were on paper, and you would actually get the full scale sure. and scope of where you are in context with everything else. When you're looking at a two and a half by three, or even a three by four inch screen, you have a you're looking at the world through a keyhole, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that is going to warp your perspective because you're essentially only looking. It, it's kind of like if you had to go through life and only see the world through a television screen. Um, you're going to have a lot less understanding of what's going on around you than if you actually walked out and walked down State Street with your eyes open. So there, there's the, the context that you get from a broader uh, scale and scope of, of information. So then the opportunity is where you've got this huge behemoth that may not be doing it exactly right. You've got to opportunity to do it better well there's there's the opportunity to do it better there's the opportunity also I, I happen to believe that um, history it has shown large organizations you know grow up to a certain level and they crest and then they now I don't believe Google is anywhere close to sure. cresting I believe there's they've got a couple more chapters or actually they probably have quite a few more chapters sure. to go and it's not to say that if you look at you know, let's say the American automotive industry or the American uh, steel production industry or any of the, you know, manufacturing or um, things that drove our country back in the 1800s and first part of the last century. Um, historically, you can see the, the ebb and flow of these large organizations. Uh, I happen to believe in history. I happen to believe, you know, those who ignore history are going to... Uh, doomed to repeat de it. Doomed to repeat it. And I think it's just the character of large organizations is they ossify to one way, shape, form, or the other. I know the folks at Google spend a hell of a lot of time fighting that very, <laughs> very problem. So why they do small teams of right. three or four people. Yeah. Now, my perspective is that there's what Google has done is put more geographic content into your pocket than anybody on the planet has ever had up you know up until this decade and as a result more people are geographically aware mm. than ever before like most of us maps were in the glove box of our cars the I mean, Thomas God. If, yep. if, if you needed a map it was it was there you knew where it was you would use it but that was but you know, how often did you come home and open up an atlas and look at stuff Nowadays, someone's thinking about going on vacation to uh, Provence, um, and they'll pick up the phone and you know start diddling around and taking a look at it. Oh, hey! Then they'll go over to their their either their laptop or their desktop. And they'll get a big, bigger view, and and it's that interlacing of information between location and what are the activities and points of interest and you know what are some of the activities that I can do it's the fact that you can access all this information on a a palette of a map that gives you a lot better idea of where you're going and what you're doing 
back when you were a young man, Mark, you probably got the map out, you laid it out here, and then you had a, a, um, a Lonely Planet uh, tour guide that you would open up and start reading, okay, what am I going to do this day, what am I gonna, and then you might have a pad of paper where you're writing down this stuff. That's all been pulled together under onto one uh, one palette, which uh, I think is, is is. So is that great. an opportunity for maps? Well, it's, maps. dot com. Well, it's an opportunity for the industry, and it's already happening. It's you know it it happens a lot of different ways. Like there's probably thousands of I I come I'm of the opinion that a majority of the mobile apps that are out there have one type or another of geolocation component to it mm. um i just think that's you know that's one of the critical aspects so you look at a, a tumblr and and you know what's what do they open up with you know what's the nearest bar that you're the mayor of um, <laughs> so it's there's very much a um a tie together in terms of now the opportunity for maps i view this is the brave new world there are so many opportunities i don't mm. know which way to turn and that's where the expertise and having watched other organizations who've had a whole palette a whole plate full of opportunities in front of them it's a, a smorgasbord you know how do you pick the you know path that is going to both be true to what you are and also get you to where you want to be so let's go down that for a second, because that's the entrepreneur's dilemma. It's it's the you know the five letter word that challenges all of us. Focus, right? With all of so so, help the person who's listening right now, who may be in that same situation. And I think we all are to a degree. What's your tip on how you focus? Do you have a tool? Kind of a is it experience? How do you Focus. One, I, I I try and drive decisions by what feels true to my heart. Okay. So I think if you have a good intuitive sense, yep. you actually will get where you want to go. Um, and I think Mark. So here, trust you, you trust that you, you you trust an intuitive uh, and a lot of the in, intuition you've got is built on years of of you know, hard learned lessons. Sure. So it's not like I'm you know. I actually, I trust a lot of twelve-year-olds who have great <laughs> ideas, and you know they don't have the you know you know years and years of of lessons beat into them yet. You know they they're bright and you know clear-visioned, and nothing's a problem. No de decision fatigue hasn't yeah, they, set in. They they, they, they uh, uh, <laughs> decision fatigue. Oh come on, that's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> We, we play a game called Buzzword Bingo ah, on this yes. podcast. It's, just, it's so, rare so. that I get tagged with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, only on my uh, podcast. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've got uh, focus is driven by what's close and, you know, what feels true to your heart. I use synergy. I try and tie together. So MAPS has some core um, areas that it works in. We've got e-commerce, yep. we have education, yep. and we have solutions. And I work daily to try and think through, if I'm doing something in e-commerce, how does that play in education? How does that play in solutions? And vice versa, if I'm working on a project in solutions, which is primarily uh, project-based um, you know, clients come in, they want to have something done, and we go ahead and develop generally a geographic solution for them. And um, 
whether it's on paper, whether it's digital, whether it's mobile, um, or something beyond that, which is, you know, gets into the data, data informatics uh, arena. Um, how do I tie these different pieces together? So I essentially the filter I use to stay focused is does this actually touch all three bases of our core business? And does this, because e-commerce, you know, B2C, which is primarily, actually most of Maps e-commerce is B2B. We get more orders and or B2G, you know, we get lots of orders from the government. Um, for delivery of, of a hard, wide hard copy maps. Uh, well, the, the interesting thing was when Superstorm Sandy came through New Jersey, right. washed away the eastern seaboard. Right. Um, we get a call from the governor's office. You know, we need maps. You know, huh. Governor Christie doesn't want to use a computer screen to draw. He wants a large format map of the county of it. Old school. Where, yeah. Well, he liked taking the marker. Sure. And here's Atlantic. Yeah, here's where Atlantic City used to be, and here's where it is now. And he liked to say, "Okay, we got this bridge, this bridge, this you know street, you know this evacuation route, you know this kind of stuff." He liked the and it plays better in the media if you you have that. And part of that is you know a lot of us will see stuff produced and, and actually, I, you know. Media is great. They do a wonderful job of both digital, um, animated. Um, you know, you do everything from weather to you know, so much of the stuff has a map embedded in it anyway. You know, you, you, you look at a char car chase, and a lot of times they'll put up a, a very simple, straightforward. It started here. It ended here. It went, you know, like this. This is, this is Maps 101. Um, so, so let's look back at that story with with Governor Christie and the hurricane, mm -hmm. because I think that was a uh, an example of what you started by talking, which was your love of the display of graphical information. Right. And he used this as a way to communicate a story. Right. Mm -hmm. So where's the role of the map in storytelling? Well, uh, every story has a place. Even even if that place happens to be in the middle, if you're Kafka and the, the place is the middle of your mind, it's still happening somewhere. So uh, maps play a um, an important important role in providing the context, framework, and location of, of where things happen. And if you're talking um, nonfiction, pretty much, I just finished the book, uh, The Boys in the Boat by uh, Daniel Brown. And it's wonderful to see maps that identify the greater Washington and Seattle area. And this is a period of time in the late 20s, early 30s, actually up until the 36 um, Olympics, where you, know, you actually, the world was a different place. Things were, you know, it, and he does an excellent job writing the story. But putting it in the context of, I mean, most people know where Seattle is today because Microsoft's up there. But, you know, if you go back in the 30s, most people thought Seattle was the hinterlands. I mean, it was mm. off the edge of the map. You talk about what was the center of the universe. It was New York City. You know, it was the eastern seaboard. When you had a map of the United States, it was almost centered on the east coast mm. and 
the stuff out on the West Coast just wasn't there yet. We're still the fringe. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I, and I like being on the fringe. I like so, being on the left coast. So we hear a lot about storytelling, and maybe I'm super tuned to that because I'm thinking about stories all the time. I love this podcast. I love hearing people's stories and right. trying to understand that. Is there, um, I, I heard this word, they're story maps. What's right. a story map? Well, story maps are a, um, it's, it's a, a software platform oh, for, okay. uh, developed by an organization down in Redlands called ESRI, uh, Earth Sciences Research Institute, um, which is one of the largest producers of software in the geographic information space. So um, they figured that one of the ways to enhance people's understanding of place, of geography, of geographic information systems was to actually start tying together the narrative, the um, images, video clips, um, whatever, tied together around a map. Hmm. So if you take, um, and, and one of their classic examples, or one of, so they've got this software platform. We use that platform to produce what are called field trip library, our field trips for field trip library. And this is what we uh, provide to uh, classes okay, in the so K-12, yeah, for kids. And so, for example, how would you explain Lewis and Clark's expedition? Probably one of the first things you'd do is lay out a map. Sure. You know, that here's Thomas Jefferson, you know, buying the Louisiana Purchase from the French. Here's, he's giving Lewis and Clark direction to, you know, take this expedition just to figure out what did I just buy? I mean, how many people buy something without visiting it first? Well, that's what we did. You bought a good third of the country sight unseen. We'd heard a lot of stories about it, but we, um, and it was a great, I mean, you look at the cost per acre. It's, it was quite, quite the uh, so the so the map then is the foundational element the, of that story. The map is the um, yes, that's where you tie together. Okay, so they went upstream here. They met you know these folks here. They you know, did this. They crossed the Continental Divide. They came out of the Columbia River. You know, and you know what then became you know Oregon here, and it happens over a timeline. So you can actually scale it forward and back in terms of what's going on. And this gives a teacher a, a nice morsel-sized, somewhere between 8 and 12-minute um, presentation to give to. So a teacher is faced with several challenges, you know, um, and one of them is producing a lesson plan on a, a almost daily and weekly basis. So by providing a teacher with a ready-to-use uh, lesson plan on Lewis and Clark, they just click it, it's right on their screen, all the you know, students in the class get to see it, and she gets to walk through it, and it hits all the curriculum requirements necessary for a teacher to check off, yes, I've done this lesson plan. Additionally, students who now all, most students have access to a computer or a tablet or some kind of digital um, sure. equipment, e even they can even use their smartphones, um, can then review this on their, at their own pace. And you know, so you've got, you know, one is in class with the teacher presenting it, two it's 
you know, allows students to, to be re-entered, you know, to review it and, and understand it better. And then three, you can test around it. So you've got sort of the whole, um, the whole solution for a teacher. So the benefit then for education and for the, the students is they have a much greater chance of absorbing and retaining this typically abstract information about this battle happened here, this <clears throat> large parcel of land was purchased, oh, now I can see it, oh, I've heard those things, but now I can see them, I have that sense of place. So the story helps me as a student learn. So uh, maps.com is contributing to the education of our youth? Uh, that would be a, a, a great sound bite, yes. That <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm, I, we're always looking for great sound bites. Uh, right. And I, I would, you know, Mark, you know, one of the things to keep in mind is there is this evolution, this continuum of how information is handed from one generation to the next. Mm. And if you look at what textbooks were, 25, 50 I years ago. I remember them. And you would, yeah, they were, for those of you who have never seen a textbook, they were large stacks of paper with a binding around expensive. them. And they typically were uh, very expensive. Um, you would open it up and you would get to the section on Lewis and Clark's expedition. And there would be a couple lithographic plates that would show a map. And it, at that time, the art of cartography, the production of a map, was how much information could you put into one, you know, two-dimensional uh, picture. And, you know, you'd want to show the route. You'd want to show the boundaries of the Louisiana Purchase. You'd want to show um, where certain events occurred. And you'd try and put all that information into one image because the, the page space was valuable. So, you know, from the textbook publisher's standpoint, they're in the business of producing words. Every image does, you know, serve a purpose, but they were trying to compress as much information as possible. Mm. So the art of cartography is in many ways, what's important information that I need to relay through this image? And what's information I can edit out? And you end up with some actually fascinating, you know, another cartographer decided to leave off this, or, you know, that got put into a small font instead of a larger font, so it's easier to ignore. So you get all sorts of decisions made based on what a cartographer did, which probably wasn't, in, in the hindsight of history, you might have thought, well, could have done a better job. I have a direct story of that. I, when we were starting 805 Connect, uh, I was really intrigued with how massive this 805 area is. It's it's an anomaly that it's only one area code across right. three counties. And so I called John, I called you, and I said, I need a map of the 805, but here's the editing. I didn't want to see the rest of California because I'm only interested, but we needed to give a sense of California, and I got to work, I'd never worked with a, a cartographer before, and we went back and forth three or four times to where I, I finally got the rest of the map subdued down mm -hmm. enough, and then in looking at the places, I, no one knows this, they do now, I edited out places that I didn't think were germane to what I was trying to produce, so it was right. again a, a graphical image, so uh, thank you for doing that, uh, and, and also, I'm looking, and our time has evaporated. Uh, we, this, these conversations, Patrick, they go so quick. You're going to have to bring them back? Can, would you come back? I would love to come back. And, and, and as I mentioned, Mark, a, 
you've done an excellent job with 805 Connect. Oh, thank so you. So I, I want to, you know, kudos to you and, and your team in terms of, of really providing the inspirational spark and the momentum to, oh, thank you to very pull much. together the community. And second of all, I could talk for a long time <laughs> about maps, and I, and I look forward to the opportunity to continue this dialogue. I would be remiss if when you t- say talk for a long time. Now, I understand you've got a story about um, something that happened that got you thinking about how you do things in a shorter amount of time or something. I have a story about brevity. Tell me about that. <laughs> okay. We, can we have time? Can we fit um, this in, Patrick? Yeah, we'll slide it in. Okay. okay. So when I was a young man, I... Uh, went to a high school in Connecticut and I had an opportunity to um, take a class with an older professor and uh, our first day in class it was me and 14 of my uh, student peers um, he gave us a you know observe and describe exercise and so this was a, a course in in words it was a course in philology and I I didn't know I had a love of words, but I do. Uh, from that class forward, I've 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 in very much enjoyed words in in general and specifically. Anyway, he walked out of the walked out of the classroom, walked back in, sat down, and dropped a pencil, and then said, "Observe and describe." So each of us had about five minutes to scribble out what we had just seen, and then he asked each student to describe it. And as I was listening to my student peers around the room everybody was not verbatim but pretty much describing what the professor was wearing how he walked into the room I mean it was pretty very detailed and I looked at what I had written I was just like you know there's something else to this lesson so when it came my turn I just said yeah gravity works (laughs) and yeah it the uh, professor's name is John Joseph, and he's a, a, a renowned to us students for his. He was like, Mr. Glanville, you are a scholar and a gentleman. <laughs> oh, nice. I love that. John, thanks for sharing that story with us. So, um, gravity works. Gravity I, works. I love that. So, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, and I want to thank you and the whole team at maps.com. I've had a chance to meet a lot of the people through the relationship we've had through starting with sponsoring uh, the TEDx and now being a, a, a part of 805 Connect. And you've invited me to come to Rotary and, and speak. And we, as a community, thank you for all, on behalf of everybody that you help. Uh, you're very involved at the university and lots of different things. Thank you so much. Uh, you're very welcome, Mark. We, we appreciate that. So I also want to say thanks to Pull String for helping us create these 805 conversations. Patrick, thank you. Always a pleasure. And Bose, who've generously provided these amazing headphones that we wear. You did, did you even notice you were wearing headphones for the last 45 minutes? No, no. But so, I, I was very focused on trying to be on point. Yeah, very good job. Good job. <laughs> thank you. And we also want to thank Cielo24, a local Santa Barbara company that provides the searchable captions for these podcasts. So what does that mean? You know, we would love to work with Cell because there is a connection in terms of searchable. Um, search is the one of the key phrases to geography and maps and location. So well, we happen to know those folks really well, so we'll make sure that sounds connection like a connection happens. right We're, we're going to do that, right? Exactly. So Thank until you. next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Mm-hmm.